Welcome to today's edition of Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast is being brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. Daniel chapter 9, and we'll begin reading in verse 20. Daniel 9, 20. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, Unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Throw your ribbon in here, and I'd like to go over to the New Testament, the Pauline Epistle, 2 Timothy chapter 2, before we would make exposition here to explain some things. Paul is writing to a young pastor or a young minister, and he's giving some orders to the younger. And he says in verse 15, Study the show thyself approved unto God. In the early days, we didn't have to study in the church. The Holy Spirit came down and just told the people what to say. He said, take no thought for what you're going to say. You'll, you'll know what to say when the time comes. And then here, by the time 66 AD rolls around, things have changed. And now he's telling Timothy, I want you to study. 
And so all of us are recommended and encouraged to study the Bible, to be students of the Bible. In this verse, he says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. It's not necessarily that we're trying to improve ourselves before other people or impress other people, but this is between you and me and the Lord that we're supposed to study the Bible. That's what the instruction is. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so as we read through the Bible, in order to understand it, we have to understand that you have to rightly divide it. There's divisions in the book. And knowing where these divisions are, and why is that division different from this division? Why is this set over here, and then this set over here is different? And a student of the Bible needs to understand, why does he say this here? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, as we hear. And then in Jesus comes and he says, turn the other cheek. Doesn't it seem to contradict? Yes. Unless you're a student and studying, and you know how to really divide the truth. And then you know, well, things have changed over here from over to here, and so this is why at that time it says this, and at this time it says this. So we're instructed here, as students of the Bible, to rightly divide the word of truth. Now that's important when we come back to our text, then turn back to Daniel, and we'll see that this is incredibly important. When we're going through this, Daniel is giving a comprehensive view, a timeline of prophecy to the end of the world, to what we call the consummation, or the revelation, the revealing, the apocalypse, all the way from his time, all the way through every day is marked, all the way through until finally the very end of time when Jesus returns in glory and dominion is given to him. So we're looking at something that is relatively complicated, and he calls it, in verse 24, the 70 weeks of Daniel. This is what is determined upon thy city and upon thy people. 70 weeks. Now, the weeks that we have to understand is not weeks as we think of, but it's 77s in a timeline. So when you see the word weeks throughout this passage, you have to think what it means is seven years. It's weeks of years. It's sevens of years. So 77s is literally what the language is saying. 77s are determined upon thy people. And so what he does is he gives a very concise view of it in verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, upon thy city, to finish the transgressions, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Three times he's saying what's happening. By the time we get to the end, all of sin will be wiped out. Full redemption. By the time we get to the end of the end, he says that we're going to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy, it'll be complete, and to anoint the most holy. will be done. The king will have been seated upon the throne in Jerusalem and therefore everything will be fixed. We'll be back to the Garden of Eden. It'll be just as if sin never took place. In fact, better. So that's your concise, is in verse 24. And then in 25, he says, all right, let's go through it. Know therefore and understand, we dealt with this last week, that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, again, we're putting it into context, we're 70 years in exile in Babylon, the city was burned with fire, everyone was taken hostage and ransacked. Then finally, after the 70 years are done, there's a commandment that goes forth to rebuild the city. And we dealt with that last week, and we look back to the time of Nehemiah when he starts to rebuild the city. 
The interesting part is, is what he says is, look, he says, from the going forth of this commandment, soon as Artaxerxes gives this commandment, the timeline begins. The 70-week timeline begins. The days are numbered. It seems like it's all out of control, but it's not. Every day is one day closer to his return. From the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. So you add them both together, 62 and 7, and you have 69 weeks. Of course, we know that that's 69 sevens, so you do the math, 69 times 7, add up the years. And we don't need to go through all of that right now. But he says, exactly from the time of that commandment, all the way through the years, is exactly measured by day to Messiah the Prince. Jesus Christ the Messiah, Christmas time, is numbered. Look at it in 26 then. After three score and two weeks, and plus the first seven, it says Messiah shall be cut off. So the student of the Bible, if they would know this, would have known the exact date that Jesus would have been crucified. Now, that's amazing. It does get a little tricky, though, because there is calendar issues. For instance, let's just throw this out to kind of get the idea of what's going on here. If you go to a Christian bookstore, which there are far too many, most of them are filled with junk, but if you go, you will find t-shirts that say things like 33 A.D., right? Jesus was crucified in 33 A.D. The Church of Jesus Christ established 33 A.D. And most people will agree with that. But if you look at the calendar, we have a problem because Jesus lived about 33 years. That's why they figure 33 A.D. So there it is, 33 and a half sinless perfect years. The problem is, is when you look at the Gospels, Jesus was born in 4 B.C. Well, if he lived 33 years and he was born in 4 B.C., that does a little disruption to the math, doesn't it? Now we're looking at maybe he was crucified around 28, 29. And then you ask yourself, and I asked Brother Don the other day because he is expert friend who is Jewish, what would you call the year, let's say you were alive in, say, 25 A.D. or 20 A.D.? What would you have called the year at that time? We don't know. What happened was, many of the people at that time, they were so egotistical, the Caesars, that they would change things. Just names of cities would just be changed. Now this city, Cleveland, is no longer Cleveland. We're going to name it Jeff. <laughs> and we're going to change the calendar. Starts at my birthday. So what happened was, is finally, around 325 A.D., the Catholic Church decided to change the calendar. And they had good intentions, I think. Well, Jesus was born somewhere around here, so we're going to call that zero. But they didn't call it zero, because there's no such zero. If you go through just a ninth grade history class, it goes B.C. and then to 1 A.D. You have to have a zero... But they didn't like zero, so we don't have a zero. Well, that messes things up a little bit. And if Jesus wasn't actually born at zero, 
or neither one. He was born in 4 BC and we know this because the scriptures tell us. There were a few men in power. Herod the Great was in power. We know that Caesar Augustus was in power at the time of Jesus' birth. And we also know that Serenius was the governor of Syria at that time. And so if you put those three administrations together, they only overlapped in one year and that would be 4 BC. So now we have an error. And so the calendars are messed up. And actually, when you think about that in and of itself, that's biblical because we already went through some of that. If you were to look back, what we see, that's actually the fingerprints of the Antichrist. Turn just a couple pages back to Daniel chapter 8 and verse 25. Speaking of the coming Antichrist that is to come. Now, this is not any Antichrist. This is the Antichrist. Look what he will do. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the laws. It's the Antichrist who is planning to do this. He's going to change the calendar to mess things up. Now, do you notice that schools nowadays are not always teaching B.C. and A.D.? Now it's B.C. We don't want to have to admit Anno Domini after his death, or in the year of our Lord, that's what actually the Latin says. And B.C. can mean nothing else but before Christ. And we can't acknowledge that because then you have to acknowledge that Christ was born. So we'll just start calling it B.C.E. before Common Era. And it's no coincidence, my friends, that the Roman Catholic Church is the one who changed the time. Because the Roman Catholic Church is Antichrist. Whether we want to admit that or not, or whether that offends you or not, or whether anybody doesn't want to hear that or not, history tells us there is no greater Antichrist than the Catholic Church. Because there has been no less blood spilled, torturous, murderous martyrdom that has not been at the hands of the Catholic Church. And when that plays on the radio, our phone will ring off the hook. But that is the truth. Bloody Mary, the Queen, the Inquisitions, I mean, it was horrendous. They butchered Christians alive. And they're the ones responsible for changing the time. And now when we come to Daniel, we have a difficult time because the prophecy says, according to the month and the day, all the way to the birth of Christ and to the death of Christ is marked by the way of calendar, which is now difficult to understand because the calendar has been messed with. So if you go to the Jewish calendar, you'll actually get a pretty good understanding of what's happening there. You see, there's things right before our eyes all the time every day. There are things of the Lord that the invisible kingdom... Whether you want to admit it or not, it's before our eyes. So every time you write a check, it's the year of our Lord, 2019, sort of. He says here, After three score and two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. He neither gained anything, and it wasn't for his own sins that he was cut off. But then it gets a little tricky right here. Because there's an and right here, and if you would like, you may want to circle the word and, because something very tricky happens to this passage here, that actually, if you really understand this concept, if you get nothing else out of the sermon at all, just get this one concept, because it will help you to understand a whole lot of other biblical stuff. 
For instance, a lot of people ask me about sign gifts. Are they still around today? Are they not around? And I'll, of course, say no, they're not around. The healers on TV are a hoax. It's all junk. The only signs that we have now today are lying signs. And then they'll say the best thing, which I appreciate, is, well, can you show me from the scriptures? And I say, well, there's actually not a verse that says, thou shalt stop on this date. You've got to be a student of the Bible, and you'll start to see things. And here's one of them. Watch carefully. Throw your ribbon in here again, and go back to Luke chapter 4. Jesus is teaching, and he's in a synagogue, and he's going to do something very interesting in this particular sermon. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says, He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Or Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place wherein it was written. Now look carefully. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And you put yourself here in the synagogue, everyone is as silent as they are right now. Jesus stands, he quotes from Isaiah 61, and it says, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closes the book, and he gave it to the minister, and he sits down. It's total silence. Because there's an abruptness in his actions. There's a sense of wonder. In fact, the verse actually says that. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness. Now look, and they wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. There was a sense of anticipation, and rightfully so, because, and here's where you've got to study and actually look at what's happening here. We just read that verse. Now let's read it in the Old Testament in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, just like Jesus said, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And you can hear Jesus reading, And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus stops right there. Mid-sentence. He just stops. And everyone is listening, thinking, why did you stop? Because look what happens. And here's another and, and if you would like, put a circle around this word and. The sentence continues, he says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Jesus left off this mid-sentence, this prophecy, which he says was fulfilled. But there is an obvious division here that he does not take. He stops mid-sentence. Alright, so let's go over to Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching his sermon immediately following the Lord's death right after Pentecost. 
He's preaching and he's using a prophecy by the book of Joel. The people are not understanding what's happening because the Spirit is being poured out and people are speaking in different tongues, different languages, different miracles are taking place. It's just confusion. And so they think that they're loaded. Verse 15 of Acts 2. Peter says, these men are not loaded, they're not drunk. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. (laughs) They don't start drinking this early in the morning. (laughs) But he says, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now look, it shall come to pass, and he quotes from Joel, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Verse 19 starts with the word, and. Circle that one as well. Because in 19, he says, and. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. That did not happen. What's happening is the prophecy is fulfilled, but there is a break mid-sentence again. These things were taking place from the prophecy of the book of Joel, and he's reading through the verse, and what happens is it stops mid-sentence. Because we know the moon never turned to blood. There was never blood and fire and vapor of smoke in the signs in the sky. The sun was never turned to darkness. The moon was never turned to blood. Because what he is talking about here, look, if you finish the verse, it says, before that great and notable day of the Lord. And if you study and look into the book of Revelations, future tense, this is even parallel because what he's referring to here is known as the sixth seal in the book of the Apocalypse. So actually what takes place is identical to what Jesus taught. It stops mid-sentence and changes to a whole different time. What we're seeing is the mechanics of hermeneutics. How do we interpret Scripture? How do we be consistent with these things? And consistency is very important. So what happens is, as I'm reading these things, and I don't just read people of my camp. When I study the Word of God, I study and I listen to men in way of print that are dead and much smarter than me, and I read men who I don't agree with, men of different camps. Three solid men that I do not agree with who are giving fair exposition to our passage in Daniel, disagree with themselves. They say we cannot let our theology continue because it doesn't make sense. They admit. Sure looks like he's talking about a millennium or an antichrist or something here. But then they'll just sweep it under the rug and say, well, we don't really believe that anyway but it sure looks like that's what it's talking about. Because if you give fair exposition to this passage of Scripture, there is no other explanation. Because, look what happens. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Who's the prince? Who is he talking about? What we're going to do now in Daniel is we're going to see a series of princes. And you have to tell by the context, who are these princes? 
Fortunately for us, we have the book of Ephesians. We know war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. What we're talking about is governmental people. Sometimes that are normal, like a prince like we know, we're familiar with. Sometimes the prince is in governmental ways, but it's angelic. Sometimes the prince he's talking about here is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So now what we have to figure out is, well, who's the second prince? The first prince clearly is Messiah because he tells us Messiah the prince. But now he says, and the people of the prince, who's the prince? If you just read through, verse 27 says, He, this prince, referring back, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. All right, so let's go through some of this again. The timeline. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. Sixty-nine weeks, and Messiah shall be cut off. So you're coming through time, looking at your calendars, through the weeks. Here we are, okay, 67, 68, 69. Jesus Christ is crucified on Calvary. What's left? It's only 70 weeks. If he's crucified at the end of 69 weeks, that means there's only one week left. Seven years left. And then it's over. But when we're looking through other scriptures of prophecy, we realize it's coming along, it's coming along, coming along. Mid-sentence, it stops. And so does it here. There should have only been one week left. We shouldn't even be here anymore. But what happened was, there's a break at the word and. After the 69 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. There's a stop in the prophecy there. And that's called the church age. That's where we are right now. It's been that way for 2,000 years. The prophecy just stopped. Otherwise, there should have only been seven years left. Because in the prophecy, there is only seven years left. You get it? This is important. Now what happens is, is the final week is registered in verse 27. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Because that's the only week that is left. We only have seven years left of the prophecy. And what happens is, we know from the Olivet Discourse, Jesus says when you get to the end, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Kingdoms shall rise against kingdom. It will just become so bad. Terrorism will become so bad. Al-Qaeda and all these Hezbollah and different ISIS things will become so bad that terrorism will be so bad that we will give up all of our liberties for securities. We will no longer have liberty in the land because liberty will be given on a way that is, I mean, they won't even have to take our liberties away. We will just give our liberties away in exchange for security and safety. We will allow the government to all of our privacy so that we can be alive. Wars and rumors of wars, it will get so incredibly bad. Jesus says, like it has never been before. It will be just absolute turmoil, earthquakes, diverse storms. They call it climate change, which is a hoax. What it is, is it's just showing us that Jesus is coming back soon. All these things that Jesus talked about. 
It'll get so bad that eventually they will cry out for a diplomat, someone to save us, someone who can bring peace, somebody who can make a, some kind of an accord, some kind of covenant with Israel and all these nations. And one will come. The Antichrist will walk right in, speaking great words. Who can be against the beast? They'll set up the image and everyone will worship. Anytime you hear the music that comes over your phone, everyone will bow down and worship the image. Who can resist the beast? No one. And he will do the miraculous diplomacy in verse 27. He shall confirm the covenant with many. Who are the many? Well, it tells us. It says, the people of the prince shall come to destroy the city and the sanctuary. Jesus said, all nations shall come against Israel. And this diplomat will come, this global prince, and he'll bring peace with him. What a hero. He'll have this covenant. It says, and shall confirm the covenant with many, everybody, mostly, that is, everybody who is an unbeliever, who takes the mark of the beast, for one week. But then in the middle of the week, it says, in the midst of the week, the Revelation actually gives us the days, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblations to cease. He's going to put a stop to the worship of God. You are not allowed to worship God, Jehovah, the Yahweh, the Jewish God, any longer, the Christian God. You are not allowed to do that. You will worship only me. And when you hear the sound of the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the clarinet, anyone who does not bow down will be cast into the fiery furnace. You see, all of Daniel starts to come into play, doesn't it? And when that happens... The people of the prince shall come and shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And we know that as Armageddon. All the nations come piling in and crushing. It says, in the end thereof shall be with a flood. Doug had done some work in the Psalms about a flood. People coming like a flood. So many people. There are so many that it looks like a flood. And the people in the Korean War, when they made some advancements, General MacArthur made his advancements, and he got cocky, and he headed a little bit too close to China. And China had 300,000 men, give or take, hiding in bunkers and under sticks and in the woods. And the people that were the pilots who flew over saw this. And there were so many Chinese coming right toward our troop. There were so many of the Chinese coming. I think is actually probably prophetical now. You know how many Chinese military there is man to man versus what we have? And so when you hear the general, actually President Obama, tells President Trump in the transition, your biggest danger, your biggest threat is China. Anyway, the pilots said as they saw the Chinese coming down, there were so many of them that they could see them walking through the woods under the treetops. And they said there were so many, it actually looked like a flood. There shall be war and they shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. 
and end thereof shall be with a flood, not of water, but of people. Unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Until finally, at the end of the last day of the 70th week of Daniel, after seven years of tribulation, that final one week of years, our king returns. The stone that is cut out without hands crushes the feet of the statue of toes and of iron and clay and pulverizes the entire thing. And Jesus Christ the King is now given dominion. He comes back victorious and triumphant upon a horse with his vesture dipped in blood. And upon him his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. All the army of heaven, the saints who have gone before us, are riding behind him to take the promised land. Because it is ours. It always has been ours and it always will be ours. The Satan, Satan is just a usurper of dominion. But at the end of these 70 weeks, it is ours. So he says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy. It will all be done and then we'll anoint the king. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You've been listening to Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast was brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. For more information, you can call the church at 330-554-7606 or check us out on the web at libertyvalleychurch.org. That's libertyvalleychurch.org. Dot org.